Come on, church. Let's give him our very best hand clap right now. He's great. Yes. It's what it's all about. We love you, Lord. You're great. Wow. Praise God. Praise God. Lord, be blessed in this time. We thank you, Lord, that we can come in from this week, wherever, whatever we've come in from, and we can gather up under the great name of our God, and we can worship and lift our voices. So we are blessing you today, Lord. We thank you that as we glorify you, you're gonna give us joy, and the world's gonna get the good and the fallout. So we bless your name. Now bless your people as we continue in worship now through the preaching of your gospel word. We ask in Christ's name, and everybody that believes the Lord is great said, amen, amen. Hey, why don't you grab a seat? If you want a fist bump or high five or give a little salute to somebody across the row, as you're doing that, so good to see you, church. How are you? Everybody good? It's a big time here at New Spring Church, a big week coming up. This is our student camp week. If you've not heard, are there any students out there that are excited about the weekend coming up this weekend? We've got, we've got a whole bunch, thousands, that will be attending or serving or opening up their homes to host the weekend coming up. So I want to invite you, church, if you don't mind, would you pray this week? Would you pray at 6.30 a.m.? We'll prompt you for the weekend. We've got, like I said, thousands involved, and we'll shoot you a text all week long because we just believe that some things, like the Bible tells us, won't change until we pray. And if we could see with our eyes what happens in the unseen world while we were praying, we would never stop praying. So I want to invite you to pray this week for the next generation, our middle schoolers and high schoolers, all the volunteers that are loving on them and all the host homes that are going to be having them in their home. God love every one of those host homes. You guys are incredible. And so we want to invite you to pray for that. In addition to that, I need everybody to say next Sunday, Sunday. August 1st, 1st. we're going to have one church gathering at the culmination of our student camp. It's going to be incredible. All of the kids, spring kids are gonna be in here with us, church. Can you believe that? And you're gonna thank God for kids spring like you never have before because we're all gonna be here together, but we're celebrating week two of this new series we're starting today called Generational. We'll conclude the service with baptism on all of our campuses. It's gonna be an incredible weekend, but what time is it next Sunday? What time is it gonna be? 10.30 a.m. 10.30 a.m. So you gotta make sure you're here. I wanna say this at the 11.15. Don't let the 9.15 folks get here early and save themselves a seat. Get here earlier than them and get you a row. You're gonna have to squeeze in. We're gonna have all of our facilities are gonna be maxed out, but it's gonna be an incredible Sunday, all right? So I wanna make sure I put all that there. Now, if you got your Bible, could you open it up to the book of Deuteronomy? Deuteronomy chapter six. As we kick off a brand new series today, that we are calling Generational. It's a four-week series. We're pumped up about that. It's gonna get us into the fall. If you're wanting to know after Generational, we're gonna get into the book of Galatians. Then after the book of Galatians, we're gonna have a women's series in New Spring Church this fall. So I'm just telling you what's coming up over the next couple of months, so you don't wanna miss out on that. But while you're turning there, as you're turning, I wanna tell you a story. Because um, this is something that happened in my life right here at New Spring Church that shifted and changed everything about my, my journey. Uh, I can remember my very first Sunday attending New Spring. Can you remember yours? I was 23 years old. I was a grad student at Clemson University. I was working as a, as a chaplain with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, and I was, I was trying to find a church where the guys that I was working with, most of these guys were minority guys, where they felt comfortable. 
And I felt convicted about that. And so I was here in New Spring was the place they wanted to come. And so here is where we came. And at the time, there was no facilities. The facility you're sitting in, if you're in one of them, we didn't have any of them. We were meeting at Anderson College. I think it was still Anderson College back then. Now it's Anderson University. And uh, I got involved in this, uh, this ministry called Fuse. I got to attend my very first night. This, this place has been romanticized at this point. It's all the OGs, especially in Anderson, will remember it. I got to attend my very first student gathering at the place called the Fuse Box, all right? Now, the Fuse Box was in the local Anderson Mall. It used to be, for those Andersonians around here that are long-termers, it used to be an old Garfield's restaurant that they turned around and after Garfield's went out of business, New Spring Church got in there and we turned this kind of um, dungy, greasy restaurant into a dungy, greasy student ministry room. It was awesome. And I remember attending my very first night there at the Fuse Box. If you wanna know where it is, it's in the, it's in the lingerie section of Dillard's now, okay? It's gone, it's gone. Uh, all right, so anyway, well, if you wanna know where it is, it's the, the, the holy ground that is the, that is the women's clothing area of Dillard's now at the Anderson Mall. That's where the Fuse Box used to be. And I walked in the door of that place and God did something in my heart. I saw, I think at the time, maybe 77, 78 high school students getting together in the local mall and they were worshiping and they were getting around the word and they were meeting in small groups and something shifted in my heart then, really, really powerful thing that reminded me, even as a college student, that I had a part to play and that my job was not to just be a consumer of the good things that the Lord had for me in the local church, but that the Lord was calling me to be a contributor to the next generation. It changed my life. I know some of you have had a similar story, and I want you to know that that is from God. I want to show it to you in the text today. It's in, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting in verse 4. If you don't have a copy of the scriptures, it'll be on the screens. But I want us to read this together. Deuteronomy 6, we'll pick it up in verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today, they shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall, you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down at night and when you rise in the morning. You shall bind them as a sign on your hands and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And when the Lord your God he brings you into the land he swore to your fathers, listen, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build and houses full of good things that you did not fill and cisterns that you did not dig and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and you are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods and the gods of the people who are around you. For the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God. Lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you and he destroy you from the face of the earth. Let's pray. Father God, we have read your word. Lord, humbly I ask right now, would your word read us? Would you inspire your church? Would you encourage your church? Would you correct your church? Would you help your church to build our lives, our families, and your people here 
in South Carolina, would you help us to build it on the solid ground, the solid foundation of your word? Lord, help me right now to hold my tongue to only what you want me to say. Help me to encourage your people today for your glory, our joy, and the world's good. And all of us say together, amen, amen, amen. I can remember that time being there at the fuse box like it was yesterday, but I've got three points today that I wanna make sure we catch as we start off this generational series. And they're from the text right here in Deuteronomy 6 that Moses gave us. Point number one, if you're jotting down notes, I want you to write this down. You've got your app open, you can take your notes there. But here's what it is. The God of the Bible is a generational God. The God of the Bible is a generational God. It's right there in verse 10 of Deuteronomy 6. He says that I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, if you've grown up in church, you're familiar with that moniker that the Lord is known as the God of the fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but I wanna make sure I slow down and make sure you don't miss it with familiarity. He is, God is self-identifying who he is and he's putting on on display his character. The heart of the God of scripture is to be worshiped, not by just your generation, but by every generation. He self-identifies to Moses for the very first time in Exodus chapter three at the burning bush when Moses is asking him his name. He says, I am who I am. I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then he goes so far as to say this, God says, and this is how I will be remembered throughout all generations. Now, let me just step back from that and let us go, wow. Now, maybe that, that's not causing your mind to swim, but one of the things that is so incredible about God is not that he's demanding worship from every generation, but rather when you see him for who he is, you, no matter old or young, no matter where you live, no matter what ethnicity, what country you're in, when you see God for who he is, you will worship him because he is worthy of the worship of every generation. He is the God of generations. That's who he is. Jesus, actually in Matthew 22, calls him this as well. The greatest commandment. Jesus speaks to this and he says, hey, this is important that the God of the Bible be worshiped by every generation. So not only point number one, is God a generational God? But I want you to catch this. He's creating a generational people. That's part B to point one. One of the things that God is doing in the earth is he is causing every single generation to see him for who he is and worship. That's why in your campus today, wherever you are, if you look around, one of the most beautiful things you will see is you will see every single generation that is on the planet right now represented across the state of South Carolina at New Spring Church today. Have you thought about that? Let's just pause for a moment. As you look around your room, I'm gonna give you permission, look around your room and you will see every generation. Gen Z's in the room. Many of them at the Anderson campus, they're actually next door meeting at Fuse right now, but there's there's some Gen Z folks in the room. We're gonna see them worship Jesus at the weekend. Millennials, they're in the room too. Where you at millennials? Millennials, they're in the room. I know, I know. Those millennials, those crazy millennials, they're here. Um, Often forgotten, the Generation Xers are in the room. All right, Gen X, I see you. Andre Agassi lovers, Nirvana music lovers. Gen X is in the room today. And the largest group across the whole nation is still this beautiful baby boomer generation. Where you at, baby boomers? Come on. They're here today too. And, uh, and then there's the silent generation and the greatest generation. We even have some of those folks that are in our church today. Maybe they're here. More than likely, though, they came to the 915 service. 
service, okay? Um, uh, all right? But every generation is here. Check this out. And that is God's heart. Now, I hope this isn't a little too heady for you, but I want to invite you into the deep end, okay? Put on a goggle and a couple of uh, uh, snorkel and fins. I want you to catch something. One of the things that blew my mind is when I understood for the very first time that when Jesus Christ saved me, regenerated my heart and made me new, he gave you and I, if you're a Christian, this is true of you, the opportunity to be his reflection in the earth, the Imago Dei. We are the image of God. He didn't give mountains that. He didn't give stars that. He didn't give animals that. He gave humanity that. We were created in his image. Now check this out, stay with me. So important. One of the things that we understand then is because we're Christ followers. If you're a, if you're a follower of Jesus, because the God of the Bible is forgiving, you and I are forgiving people. Because the God of the Bible is loving, you and I are loving. Because the God of the Bible pursues people, even when they're broken and in their worst place, we are pursuing of people. Is this making sense? Am I, are you with me? Is this helping anybody? Okay, that's the Imago Day. Now watch this. One of the things that this truth that we just unpacked is so important is there are some things that we cannot image bear alone. And the generational God of the Bible is one of them. I need you and you need me if we're going to display the goodness of God in the state of South Carolina. We need every generation represented because all of us together collectively, we put on display that the God of the Bible is a generational God and he's causing us to become a generational people. Now you don't have to take my word for it and I hope you want, I need you to see that this is all over the scripture. The very last words of the Old Testament in the book of Malachi. If you wanna just flip over there, it's the very last book in the Old Testament, Malachi chapter four. I've heard Malachi described as the great Italian prophet, Malachi. But um, Malachi chapter four, the very last two sentences of Malachi, here's what it says that God's gonna do. You ready? Malachi four, verses five and six, it says this. Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and this, this prophet, he will turn the hearts of fathers, one generation, to their children, another generation, and he will turn the hearts of children, one generation, to their fathers. That's the way the Old Testament closes. Let me slow down and make sure you catch this. So one of the things that God's gonna cause in you, Christian, is there's gonna be a moment in time where you stop just thinking about your personal only relationship with Jesus, and you're gonna become very concerned about honoring the generation above you and fueling the generation coming behind you. And we'll say it, slow down one more time. Something God is doing in the earth right now in every single church that is filled up with followers of him is he's causing us to honor the generation that came before us and to fuel and empower and launch the generation that comes after us. That is who you are, New Spring Church. It is what God is doing. And this series is about inviting you in to be intentional with that. That's what the Lord is doing. Now, having said all of that, I wanna make sure you catch this. That is, that is completely counterintuitive to the way that the world works. The world does not do this all right, I just had everybody on every single campus identify their generation, but I'm, I'm a millennial, all right? I know, I know it's crazy. The very, very top of the millennial, I was born in 1983, okay? I'm 38 and a half years old. But you know what us millennials have all heard for years? All millennials, millennials wave at me if this is true. You've heard about how entitled 
and lazy and, and um, uh, have, have they not worked for anything this millennial generation is, that they've been, any millennials have heard this? Or anybody read this article? Okay, okay, great. Okay, now millennial, we're almost out because it's Gen Z's turn to be entitled and lazy, okay? All right, entitled and lazy, all right? Now, but here's what's crazy. Who are we hearing that from, generally speaking? I'm not saying this is any of you. The older generation, the baby boomer generation, classically, all right? Now, what's crazy is baby, baby boomers, you know this to be true. Do you remember boomers? I know it's been a long time ago, all right? Do you remember what was said about you? Bunch of hippies? Free love? Mind-altering drugs? Right? Woodstock? Come on, y'all, Woodstock, okay? And it was said about you as well. The generation previous to the baby boomer generation also wanted to blast and wanted to divide. And this, look, I'm just trying to show you something. This is the spirit of the world. This is the spirit of the enemy. Ephesians 2 says it's the spirit of Satan himself, the prince of the power of the air, that we were all born into it and that we were by nature children of wrath that causes this. But what I want you to know is when you meet Jesus Christ, when he saves you and puts his heart in you, when he fills you up with his spirit like Malachi 4 describes, you're gonna stop dividing with generations around you and you're gonna start honoring and fueling God's people in every generation. Can I get an amen right there? So this is such a priority and I want you to see it because it's going to cause many of you to find a vigor and a zeal as to why you are have to do more than just show up at church on a Sunday morning and just kind of nod your head and sing the worship song, but you have to be involved in helping honor the generation, learning from the generation, um, getting wise counsel from those above you and launching and fueling and equipping and empowering the generation below you. It's God's character and he puts that character on display in you. That's point number one. Point number two. Point number two that is so important here is that God's plan, ready for this, is that fathers and mothers are God's primary vehicle for the evangelism and the discipleship of the next generation. All right, one more time. God's plan is that he would use fathers and mothers as the primary vehicle. That's what Moses is encouraging God's people with in Deuteronomy 6. He's saying, listen, you're gonna be tempted to to not tell the next generation. You know what's gonna tempt you from telling the next generation? You're gonna have full bellies. Full bellies because of all the good things that God's gonna do for you. He's gonna give you cisterns, literal wells. Wells are a big thing in the desert. Wells that you didn't have to dig and work for. He's gonna give you olives and vineyards. One of the things that olives and vineyards need in order to get vintage is they need lots of years of peace. He's gonna give you lots of years of peace so that you can grow crops and vintage years after years after years. And you're gonna eat so much and be satisfied, it's gonna cause you to forget about me. You're gonna live in homes. You're gonna receive things you did not deserve. And, and it's gonna be so good, it's gonna bless you. But one of the things I'm here to say to us today, New Spring Church, is don't let the blessings of God shut your mouth to the goodness of God that you must tell to the next generation. We have got to. And it's, and it's the blessings of our world, the white bread of our world that fills us up, that causes us to shut our mouths and not declare God's goodness. But I'm here today to inspire you, moms and dads. I'm here today to encourage you, New Spring Church, to lift your voice and lift your story to make sure you understand that you can do it and you must do it. You are the primary 
evangelizer and discipler of your kids and grandkids, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And this is a massive deal. I wanna recommend a book that I found incredibly valuable. Uh, this book is called Faith for Exiles. It actually went to print right at the end of 2019. This book basically journeys for 10 years 10 years, from 2009 to 2019, it was done with Barna Research and David Kinneman and some other guys did it. But here's what this book was navigating. They were following the next generation of, 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 of Christians, of Christ followers, and they were seeing what are the things that cause the next generation over a long period of time, a decade, to continue to be an enduring disciple after 10 years. What are the things? And simultaneously, what are the things that cause a disciple back in 2009 as they journey along to no longer follow Jesus in 2019? It came out literally at the end of 2019, right before the coronavirus. One of the five, one of the five markers of an enduring disciple, those that make it, you ready for this? One of the five is a intergenerational relationship. They have relationship with those that are older than them and they have relationship with those that are younger than them. It is a massive deal. And if we're going to see, listen, the church thrive into the future, we have got to take it seriously and be intentional. That is why we are such proponents and advocates of Kid Spring and Fuse and Rally. And if you're new to New Spring Church, let me just go on the record and say, we care about the great work that God's called us to in the next generation. Amen? We care about it. And we can't just think we're going to drift there because you're not going to drift there. Even in South Carolina where you would think the traditional values are going to hold, no, they will not. I'm asking you to wake up to the reality. Don't let the enemy cause you to slumber to sleep and just go to bed because your tummy's full from all the good blessings of the Lord. It's time that we get really intentional with the next generation and I want to invite you into that. Last week, if you missed last week, we had a lot of commitment in the room. There were so many people all over the state, thousands that committed and recommitted to the work of the Lord. And I just want you to know we are so proud of what you guys are doing and so proud to partner with you. So that brings me to point number three. And finally, number three is the church is here to be your resource, but the church can never, ever, ever be your outsource. Now, let me make sure we catch this. The church is here to resource you, mothers and fathers, spiritual mothers and fathers, as you are taking the message of, the, of the, the gospel to the next generation, but the church cannot be your outsource. And I want you to know this flies in the face, flies in the face of cultural Christianity in America. It does. We have made it so easy, so easy to just outsource the raising of my children or the raising of my middle schooler or high schooler to the youth pastor or the, or the small group leader. But I want you to know, you cannot do that. Please, please, please hear me. It is unbelievable what happens when parents and the church begin to partner together to work on the next generation and tell them the good news of Jesus. It is amazing the endurance and perseverance that that young person is gonna have over the long haul. And so we have to redefine what is success for the church. Can I tell you what we believe success is? You ready? I want you to write this phrase down. Success for the church is succession. Success is succession. 
We can no longer pat ourselves on the back just based on how many butts are in seats. Yes, I said the word butt. The, no, no longer can we pat ourselves on the back by how many butts are in seats on a Sunday morning church. We have to recognize that our sending capacity to the next generation and not our seating capacity on a Sunday morning is what's gonna make the difference if we're going to see the glory of God make its way into the next generation. Are y'all awake this morning? Okay, it matters. It matters. What I'm trying to help us avoid is getting to be older and go, my God, I wish we had stayed focused on that back in the day. I wish, I wish we hadn't outsourced. I wish we had, we had partnered and resourced because there are churches all over the world that are closing their doors and will not reopen. And it has everything to do with the way they are intentional about reaching the next generation. It matters. So we have to redefine success. You see, success for us is not running a sprint. Success for us is not running a marathon. Success for us is running a relay and make sure we send the good news of Jesus into the next generation so we cannot talk down. We cannot to, to degrade. We cannot dishonor if you're a younger gen. We must partner together. And I want to encourage you to tell you that's what I see at New Spring Church all over the place. And I want to invite you into it. If you're a parent, I want to invite you into it. If you're a, a college student, I want to invite you into it the same way God moved in my heart. If you're an empty nester, I want to invite you into it. You still have so much part to play, but we have got to be a generational people that prioritizes reaching the next generation for Jesus Christ. Now, let me show you how, because it's super simple. You don't need a seminary degree. You don't need to know Greek or Hebrew. I don't know Greek or Hebrew, all right? You don't need any of that. You know what you need to do? Let's look at, at Deuteronomy 6.20. Here's what we gotta be able to do. Deuteronomy 6.20 says this. When your son asks you in time to come, pause, the next generation's gonna ask us. They're gonna ask us why we do what we do. Why does this matter? That's, that's what's going on here. Why do we do what we do? Why does this matter? Look what happens. What is the meaning of these testimonies and these statutes and these rules the Lord our God has commanded you? Why do we sing how great thou art? Why do we clap our hands? Why do we prioritize Sunday mornings? Why do we, why do we gather around the table? Why do, we, why do we read our Bible in the morning? Why do we say our prayers at night? Why, mom and dad? Why? Why? What's the meaning of this? Then you shall say to your son. You see, son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. You see, one of the things that we've got to prioritize is telling the story to the next generation of just how broken and enslaved all of us were. You see, Moses was encouraging God's people to remind the next generation that God had come through for them when they were enslaved in Egypt. But I'm here today to remind us we were in a way worse situation than being slaves in Egypt. We were slaves to sin and death. We were slaves to alcohol and lust and greed. We were slaves. We could, we, listen, we could know the rules. And is there anybody honest enough at New Spring today to, to say, we could know the rules and it didn't matter. We still broke the rules. Anybody honest enough to say that? Me too, I'm up here. We, we could know what God had invited us into and we still couldn't do it. And I want you to know that we've got to be willing to tell the story to the next generation, not some squeaky, clean, packaged, marketable deal, but tell them the honest truth. Tell them, Dad, how mom wasn't the very first woman you ever slept with. You feel that? Tell them, Mom, 
How you didn't start following Jesus when you were seven. It, was, it wasn't until you were 23 after you really had gone through some heavy things in college. I'm telling you one of the most powerful testimonies that you have in your mouth is the truth of how God rescued and redeemed you. Here's the generational challenge. This week, this week, mom and dad, if you've got a child old enough to understand it, tell them how Jesus saved your life. Tell them how he did it. I'll never forget my parents sitting me down and telling me that God's honest truth about how they were not perfect people, but they knew a perfect savior. And it happened for them in different places in their life. And it changed everything for them. And I want you to know it'll change everything for you, but we've got to open our mouths. The next generation's not just gonna drift into following Jesus. The world has an all out assault and it's gonna be on us if they're gonna know the good things of the Lord. I wanna tell you a story to conclude our time today. This story is about a man who was born in 1917 in Asheville, North Carolina. It's the same year and same location as Billy Graham was born. He was a part of the greatest generation, lived through the roaring 20s of the last decade. He, he went on to live through the Great Depression as well. He found himself working in, in a mill at Inca. If you are familiar with the area, Inca Candler, the Inca Mill is where this gentleman worked and he played minor league baseball in the textile leagues of those days. That was until he went to the war. He was, a, he was an 82nd Airborne veteran who went to war like so many others did in that generation. His name is George Clark Yarborough. I wanna show you a picture of him. And George... Clark Yarborough came back from war. He was already a broken man, but now he was a really broken man. A man who had seen a lot. He had lived through a lot. He had experienced a lot. And when he came back home to his family and his friends, he found the best thing he could do was to drink himself into oblivion most days. He was a drunk into his 40s. Alcohol was how he coped and how he got by. And it was on one night where he had been at the bar drinking that he's stumbling home and he falls off the sidewalk into a road where he gets hit by a car. Goes to the hospital. I don't know what kind of prayers he was praying at the moment, but I'm sure it was something like, Lord, save me, help me. I, I can't do this anymore. Ends up having his head wrapped in a bandage, and he makes his way the very next day, Wednesday, to a local church called Mission Baptist Church, where he heard a pastor named Ed Boyd preach the good news of Jesus, how there was nobody too far gone, how that Jesus Christ would forgive you of your sins, your sins that deserve death eternally, and he would extend to you his reputation with his father, which was perfect and flawless. You could receive all the good of Jesus and he would take and had made a way for all of your sin and shame to be removed at the cross. This struck him to the heart. His family would later say that dad was a completely different man after that. He walked the aisle, fell on his face at the altar, weeping with a head bandage around his head from his drunken stupor the day before, but he gave his life to Jesus that day at Mission Baptist Church. He went home to his second wife, and he went home to his eight children, and he dumped out every 
bit of alcohol in the home and it was said of him he never drank again for the rest of his days. This man was changed. This man met like what many of you have experienced. He met a living God. He met a God who wasn't just words on a book, but he was real and he was living and he forgave him and he gave him a new heart. He was born again. Now, the reason that I'm telling you this story about George Yarborough is that's my papa. And his baby girl is my mom. And my mom never knew a man that was an alcoholic and was far from God. She only knew a changed man who would go on to lead his family to church and would love them and was not perfect. He was just a, just a blue-collar textile mill guy, but he raised his family to know the goodness of God, and it made an impact on my mom, and my mom, it didn't stop with her because you know she made an impact on me and my brother. And I want you to know that it matters so much Maybe some of you have a story just like that. I can't tell you how many times I'm talking to someone and they say something to the effect of, if it hadn't been for my praying grandmama, if it hadn't been for my praying daddy, if it hadn't been for my, the prayers of, of my great-grandfather, I've heard that story so much. Matter of fact, I was talking with a man this week that's a part of our church and he was talking and telling me the story about how he would be in bed at night and he was supposed to be at sleep and he would hear his dad come through the front door and he'd act like he's asleep and his dad would sneak into his bedroom and lay his hands on his son and pray over his son. And that made such an impact on this son that he told me years later as an adult, he got to return the favor with his dying father. That on his deathbed, he got to lay his hands on his dad and say, thank you, dad, for giving me a faith that was real that carried me through the valley of the shadow of death and, and you're going to meet our Savior and our Lord and I want you to know as I bless you that you have blessed me and this is not gonna die with me. I'm gonna pass it on to my generation as well. And I want you to know that's what I'm talking to you about today. That's so important that we move beyond just a personal relationship with Jesus but we recognize that God is calling us into a family where he wants to give us spiritual moms and dads and he wants us to shape the next generation Honor and fuel, that's the way the church is going to thrive into the years to come. My mom was going through old things at her old house when my grandmother passed away. This has been maybe 10 years ago. I was on staff at the church at the time. I was working as a youth pastor, and she ran across this letter from my grandfather's pastor that had led him to the Lord. This letter actually hangs in my office. If you come by and visit us at the church, I'll show it to you, but I brought a copy of it for you to see. It says, January 27th, 1961, 60 years ago, Dear George, I'm so happy to hear that you will be going Sunday from Asheville with some of our men to witness for Christ. Isn't it Anderson, South Carolina? It is wonderful to be your pastor, and I'll be praying for God to speak through you and the other men as you go Sunday. Loving Christ, Ed Boyd, your pastor. Next week at 10.30 a.m., I'm gonna get to baptize my oldest daughter right here in the service. She's never met my granddad, her great-granddad, but he was sowing seeds in Anderson, South Carolina before she showed up on the planet. 
And I want you to know the things you do that you think don't matter, getting up in the morning and reading your word, talking about it as you prepare meals, going to bed at night in the car rider line, going to and from Chick-fil-A and the dance recitals and the ball games. It matters. I want to awaken you, church, to the reality that there may be another generation after us or after after us. My grandfather, her great-grandfather, is a part of that cloud of witnesses that is cheering her on. And we'll get to meet him one day. She'll get to meet him one day. But I want you to know that that's what's on the line. Would you please take up this great mantle of honoring God in our generation and making sure that the next generation hears us say intentionally, we've not been so filled up with the goodness of the Lord that we will stop blessing his name. I want to invite parents, moms and dads on all of our campuses. Would you stand to your feet as we transition into worship? I wanna pray for you, moms and dads. You might be here all by yourself. You might be here with your spouse, blended families and everybody in between. We wanna pray for you because we wanna resource you. We believe in you. We wanna help you. And this is a huge week for us and it matters so much. So let me pray for you as we transition into a time of worship. Father God, I thank you that we're about to sing the reality that you are enthroned on the praises of your people. And not only are you enthroned on the praises of this people on every campus, but you're enthroned on the praises of thousands of generations that have come before us. That great multitude that is the cloud of witnesses is singing your praise. Our mamas and daddies and granddaddies and great-granddaddies and great-grandmothers, they're lifting up, if we would have eyes to see it, the name of King Jesus, who had rescued all of us from sin and death, who has made a way for us. And so we will not keep our mouth closed would you help us, Lord, to tell our sons and daughters, the next generation, would you help us to be a generational people and to raise a generation that's gonna change the earth? We love you, we worship you, we bless you now. In Christ's name we pray, amen.